Good morning, everybody. Get your Bibles out and open them up with me to the Gospel of John chapter 4. The Gospel of John chapter 4 is where we're going to be uh, today. Uh, when I was in college, I started off as a music major. All right, go figure, all right? You're thinking, what? Uh, yeah, I know, it's shocking to most of my family and friends as well. Uh, but one of the classes I had to take was a vocal performance class. And so I was an assigned a vocal teacher and I worked all semester on a certain number of songs that I was gonna present, I was gonna sing. In fact, my final grade was to sing in front of this panel and they basically determined my grade for the semester. And so I worked really hard on it. I did my very best. Uh, and then it got to the, the time when I was going to sing before this panel. It's kind of like, like American Idol, except not really cool, all right? Uh, kind of like America's Got Talent, but there's no, not, no confetti cannon at the end or anything like that. In fact, the panel was called a jury, and that's exactly how it felt, all right? It felt like I was before a jury, right? And so uh, I, I stood up, I did my very best. I didn't really take it off the rails too bad. I mean, I didn't forget any lyrics or mess up on any song after start over or anything. I thought I did pretty good. And I sat down and my vocal teacher stood up and began to apologize to the jury for how bad I sang. That's the honest truth. She went on and said, well, you know, he's got some congestion and his voice hasn't been that great. And I have flashbacks of when she told me that I need to walk around campus with a scarf around my neck to keep my vocal cords warm. Can you imagine me doing that at Texas Tech? Really? It's never going to happen. Anyway, and so in that moment, I don't really remember what grade I got, but I do remember distinctly the thought in my head, the thought, you know what? I'm never going to make this as a career move, you know. I, I am not what they're looking for. I am not good enough for what they're looking for. And, and you know, I, when I think about that, there are a lot of people that think of life that way. Like, uh, you know, everyone is judging them. Everyone is a panel measuring whether they are thumbs up or they're thumbs down. And, and for many people, they just don't feel good enough. I'm not smart enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not godly enough, I'm not successful enough, I'm not whatever the case may be, I'm just not good enough. I think all of us come into this world with this sign hanging over our, our, our necks that basically asks a question, will you accept me? Will you accept me? Will I be accepted? We want to be accepted as children. We want to certainly be accepted when you get into middle school and high school. You get to college and you'll do just about anything for someone to accept you, for a group to include you, to, to say you're good enough for us. But what we're going to look at today is what Jesus offers us when we don't feel good enough. When we don't feel like we measure up. So and then we find that in John chapter 4. So why don't we just dive right on into it now. Uh, John chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. And this is uh, the Word of God. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, uh, they, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. And he had to travel through Samaria. Now stop right there for just a minute. The tension between Jesus and Samaritans is no secret. If, you, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that there was bad blood between 
Jews and Samaritans, though most people don't really know why. All we know about is maybe the good Samaritan, maybe he's a good guy. What's the animosity between them? Well, this really dates back almost a thousand years prior to Jesus. In 975 BC, the nation of Israel split into two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom was increasingly wicked. One of the first things that happened after the Great Divide was they established pagan worship centers in the far north, in the Dan area, and then in Bethel, which later was become the area of Samaria. And they started to worship pagan gods. Every king they had in the north was a bad king. Some of them have become famous for their evil, such as King Ahab and his wife Jezebel, uh, which ruled there for many years and proliferated Baal worship throughout all of the northern kingdom. Every time God sent a prophet, they would just cut them down. I mean, it, it just got from bad to worse. And finally, God's judgment came in the form of the Assyrians coming in from the north and decimating that northern kingdom, hauling most of them off into bondage. But what they would do is repopulate that area with people they had conquered from all over the place. And so what happened was you had those people intermarrying with the remaining Jews that were there, creating this kind of inbred amalgamation of all kinds of spiritual concepts. They had their a little bit of Judaism, but they had a little bit of paganism, and they created their own cult, basically. They had temples on Mount Gerizim there. They offered their, their own sacrifices, their own priesthood, their own law, their own worship, all of this became in, entrenched in that area that is known as Samaria. And this is why the Jews to the south had such animosity toward that. In fact, I could go throughout Jewish history, and I won't have time to do that today, to show you all the fighting back and forth between these two groups. And so by the time you get to Jesus's day, uh, let's just say you thought the UTOU rivalry was bad. Uh, this is really bad, right? A good Jew would never speak to a Samaritan. A, a good Jew would never uh, set foot on Samaritan soil. In fact, they would take an extra couple of days to travel around Samaria to get up to the Galilee because they would not defile themselves with these terrible people. And so here's Jesus. He's in Jerusalem. He's going back north to Galilee. And so he says he has to go through Samaria. Now, why does he have to go through Samaria? I mean, everybody goes around, right? He doesn't have to go through. But he had an appointment on this day with a woman. Let's just keep, keep reading. Look at verse 5. It says, so we came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, uh, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well, and it was about noon. And a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town uh, to buy food. You know, it, it's hot. Jesus has been traveling. It's in midday. A lot of people estimate that Jesus was walking from Jerusalem up through Samaria, that that could have been as far as 20-mile hike that morning. 
Uh, by the way, I've been in the hills of Samaria. Uh, our, our bus route got redirected through Samaria on one of our trips to the Holy Lamb one time. It is not flat. It is very mountainous. It is very hilly. So this, you know, Jesus has been walking up and down. By the time it's midday, it's hot, and they finally got to this town of Sychar. He is worn out. He sent the guys in to get something to eat, some burgers and, and tacos or something, uh, while he's hanging out at the well to just catch his breath and to rest. And this is where he meets this woman coming to draw water. Now, it's not uncommon for, obviously, women to draw water in that day, but what was uncommon is the fact she was doing it alone. She was coming in midday. She was coming by herself. And that indicates that there was something wrong, that she was not really accepted in her town. Uh, mostly what would happen is women would get up early and they would go while it's still cool and they would get their jars of water and they'd go draw together. And it was, it was meeting a need for their family, but it was also kind of social hour. And so they'd hang out and they'd talk and catch up on how the bachelor was that week or whatever the case may be. And uh, uh, they're, they're talking about all this kind of stuff. And, and it was kind of their social time. You know, in my hometown growing up, there was always a little cafe that all the old guys hung out at and they drank coffee and they talked about high school football and politics, right? And that's just what they did. Well, that was what happened here. It was their Starbucks. And she wasn't invited into that circle. She's coming by herself. She's coming at noon because she has a past. She's on the outside and she knew it. Some of you know what it feels like to be on the outside. You're not, you didn't get invited to that party and so everybody's blowing up Instagram with pictures of what it's like to be there and you're seeing it all but you know you weren't invited you didn't get invited into that school that you desperately wanted to get accepted into and you got a rejection letter it, we unfortunately we regret to inform you that blah 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 you didn't finish reading the letter you didn't get accepted into that promotion. You didn't get accepted onto that ball team that you wanted to get on. You know what it's like to feel rejected. And then when you get a little older, the rejections sometimes cut a little deeper. You know what it's like to be rejected by a husband or rejected by a wife, to re be rejected by a son or a daughter. You know what it feels like to be rejected by somebody you care about. And that's what this woman was feeling every single day. You think about it, the Samaritans were the most rejected people in the area. And they rejected her. I mean, how much lower can she get? She lived her whole life with this sense of absolute rejection. Listen, if you uh, ever want to know if God cares about you, I love this story. Because it says that no matter what you've done or where you've gone, that Jesus moves toward those who feel rejected. That Jesus moves toward those who feel hurt and abused and wounded and broken. That Jesus moves toward you. I mean, think about it. Jesus traveled 20 miles to talk to a woman who most people wouldn't have taken two steps to talk to. But Jesus moved toward her. And Jesus offers her some things here that he offers you. Listen, the truth of the matter is you may be here today and you don't feel very comfortable here. 
You feel a little bit on the outside. You, you think in your own mind, man, if those church people knew what I have been doing in my life, if those church people knew what I've been up to, then they would never accept me because they're perfect and I'm not perfect. And they got their life together and, and I don't have my life together and they've got their awesome home and a beautiful family and I don't have any of that. And, and let me just tell you, that is a, that is a facade that is not true. Just look at us. We're a wreck. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. But we conjure these things up in our mind, don't we? That I don't fit in. That's not for me. I, I, they, they wouldn't accept me. And that's what this lady was feeling. But here is Jesus talking to her. And he offers her the same thing he offers you today. You say, what's that? Well, the first thing he offered her was satisfaction for her soul. Look at verse nine. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked him. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask of him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket. And the well is deep. So where are you going to get this living water? You, you aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us a well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. You know, Jesus is breaking all kinds of rules to get to this woman, right? A Jew was never supposed to talk to a Samaritan. He was not even supposed to be in that town. A rabbi would never address a woman in public, not even his own wife much less to have spiritual conversation with someone like this one-on-one. Jesus is jumping through all kinds of hoops. He's breaking through all kinds of barriers to really make a statement that there's nobody outside the grace of God. There's nobody that's gone too far. There's nobody that, that's outside the reach of God's grace and God's mercy. And boy, that's good news today, isn't it? And that's why Jesus is coming to her and he's saying this to her and he's talking to her and he's asking for a drink and it's very obvious that this woman is wounded and she's, she's callous, let's just face it. She's had a lot of disappointment in her life. She's not putting up with anybody. And she's like, why are you asking me? Why are you asking me for a drink? I know who you are. I know what you are. You know what I am. Let's just stay in our lane. And, and by the way, you talk about living water, you don't have a bucket. What, are you greater than Jacob? Do you sense the... The pushback here, the callousness. I mean, she's talking smack. I mean, she's like, well, what are you? Who are you? You know, I put her kind of in like a New York accent. Hey, who are you? Why are you, why are you talking to me? You know, that's my best effort. I'm sorry. I totally destroyed that for those of you that are actually from New York. Uh, anyway, sorry, my apologies. But you get the idea, right? And what Jesus is doing is he's, he's using the well as a metaphor for life. He's like, listen, you drink this water, you're going to get thirsty again. 
You can say that about anything, right? You, you, go to, you go to the well of relationships and you think that's going to satisfy you, but it never does. You've got to keep going back. You go to the well of uh, education. You think that's going to satisfy you. You've got to keep, keep going back. You go to the well of, of uh, promotion or career or having children or whatever the thing is that you're thinking is going to satisfy you. You keep going back to that well. You keep drawing out of that well, but it's never really going to satisfy you on the inside. And then he says, I'll give you living water. This is, this is salvation talk. This is relationship with God talk. I'll, I'll give you water that will satisfy you. I'll give you something in your life that will satisfy you. In fact, he said, it'll spring up within you. It's not something you can earn. It's not something you deserve. It's not something you pay for or you get good enough. If you act good enough, then finally you get it at the end. No, no, no. This is a relationship with God I can give you, Jesus said, that will truly bring satisfaction to your soul. And this really resonated with her because she was a thirsty woman. She was thirsty for love. She was thirsty for approval. She was thirsty for acceptance. She was thirsty for someone to care for her. And you can imagine her whole life just rejected. And you can hear it in her response. The, the guard starts to come down a little bit. And look at verse 15. She said, sir, now she's acting a little more respectful. Give me this water so that I don't, won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. The Old Testament prophets spoke of the Lord as, get this, the fountain of living water. Multiple times in the Old Testament. He's called the fountain of living water. And here Jesus is showing that he is the fulfillment of that. He is the fountain of living water. In fact, if I could fast forward you over to, I think it's in John chapter 7, Jesus is standing up in front of the temple and he says this loudly so people can hear. He cries out and he says this, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And the one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. In other words, he's saying, hey, I'm the source of what you're looking for. If your soul is thirsty, if you're hungry for more, then I'm what you're looking for. You're not going to find anywhere else. There are a lot of thirsty people here today. Some of you are thirsty for love, and you're going from relationship to relationship, spouse to spouse, boyfriend to girlfriend, girlfriend to boyfriend, whatever the case may be, trying to find someone to love you and satisfy you and affirm you and care for you. If you keep going to that well, you'll always be thirsty. Some of you are thirsty for acceptance and you measure your acceptance based on likes and shares and followers. If you go to that well, you'll keep going back and you'll keep being thirsty. And Jesus said, listen, what you're looking for is a relationship with God that can satisfy you deeply on the inside and I'm the one who can give that to you. Only Jesus can satisfy you on the inside. He also offers her something else. Look at this, he offers healing for her wounds. Now this gets really interesting. Look at verse 16. Jesus said, go call your husband. He told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. He said, you have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you've had five husbands. And the man you're now 
that you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. This was the gaping wound in her life. This is the reason why she was alone. This is the reason why the other women in town would not accept her. This is the reason why she was on the outside. This is the gaping wound because she had been married and divorced five times. Think about it. Every time she got married, she thought, well, this guy is gonna love me. This guy's gonna be the one I'm looking for. This guy's gonna complete me. This guy's gonna make me happy. This guy's gonna take care of me. Only to find rejection after rejection after rejection and disappointment after disappointment after disappointment till finally she just gave up on marriage altogether. And now she's living with a guy that doesn't love her. She's sleeping with a guy that's not committed to her. And she thinks this is all she's worth. This is all she deserves. You know, commentators treat this woman in a lot of different ways. Some of them kind of paint her more as like this immoral woman, like she's kind of a woman of the night. I don't know. I, when I look at her, I just see someone who's been deeply wounded. We don't know her story. But it's interesting that this is one of the longest conversations recorded in the Gospel of John that Jesus had with anybody. But when I look at her, I just look at her through the eyes of being a dad. You know, I'm, I'm a father of two daughters. <clears throat> and I always look at it through that lens. Whenever I see an ad for a gentleman's club or something like that, I always go, you know, there's somebody's daughter in there. And I have to ask the question, where's her dad? Where's her dad? Where's her daddy? Maybe he's dead. And he, he, he couldn't uh, help her. She's left to herself. Maybe, maybe he, uh, he, he's tried to help her. Maybe he's tried to rescue her multiple times and she kept pushing him away. Maybe he's just a deadbeat. Maybe he's the one that abandoned her. Maybe he's the one that abused her the first time. I don't know. But what I do know is that this woman was hurting deeply on the inside. And she covered it up with this hard shell, but on the inside, she was wounded. Listen, you may be covering up your wounds with a hard shell. I don't need anybody. I don't need God. I don't need any person. I can take care of myself. Uh, and, and all that we know is just a cover, to cover up the, the reality of your own wounds on the inside. But let me just tell you that your wounds will never heal without Jesus. Just won't. Your wounds aren't gonna heal by medicating it with alcohol or drugs. Your wound is not gonna heal by going out on the weekend. Your wound isn't gonna heal by just partying with the right friends. Your wound's not gonna heal by cutting. Your wound's not gonna heal by shaming. Your wound's not gonna heal by being angry at the world. Your wounds aren't gonna heal that way. And when Jesus said, go get your husband, and she goes, I don't have one. He goes, yeah, that's right. You've had five husbands. I, I, he's not rubbing her nose in it. He's not trying to shame her. Uh, after all, it's just the two of them having this conversation. What he's doing is he's saying this, I know who you are. I know what you've endured. I know the wounds in your life. And I'm still talking to you. I'm still moving toward you. 
And no matter what wounds you have endured, and many of you have endured more than your fair share of heartache and suffering and loss and disappointment and rejection. But what I do know is this, Jesus loves you and he cares for you and he's moving to you right now. If you will let him. Jesus told that woman that felt rejected, he said, listen, I, I'll satisfy what you're looking for. He told her, I will bring healing to your wounds. Let me give you one more thing that he is offering to her. He said, I'll, I'll give you worship for your life. Now look at this. This is really interesting how the conversation turns. She said, verse 19, sir, the one replied, I see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. That's Mount Gerizim. That's that false temple area that we talked about. But you Jews say that the place of worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus told her, believe me, woman, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. For Samaritans worship what they do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. Underline those words. He wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You know, a lot of people think that she's kind of diverting the subject, right? He got a little personal with the whole, you're not married. And so she's like, well, let's have a spiritual conversation about something else. I don't really think so. I think that she's dealing with her core issue. She has a worship problem. Remember, she's a Samaritan, right? So she can't even get to the temple. And she's a woman. Even if she could get to the temple, she'd be on the outside anyway. So if there was anybody pushed out and away from God that God doesn't care about, that's her in her mind. And, and, and so she brings up, well, which is way, which is the right worship? See, every one of us are wired to worship. Everyone are created to worship God. And this is where we find our source of satisfaction and joy is when we worship, know him and love him and worship him and serve him. And we worship stuff. I mean, you may not have idols in your house, but we worship stuff. Everybody worships something. Uh, you, may, you may worship your car. Uh, you're the guy that parks way out uh, over like catty corner on three parking spaces. You know what I'm talking about? You put the blanket over the car at night, you know? Uh, you're, you're, you can worship that. You worship your kids. You worship your job. You worship your body by going to work out all the time and checking you out in the mirror, whatever the case may be. You, you worship all kinds of stuff. Worship is what you give your best to. Worship is what you give your life to. Romans 12 says that worship is what we, we offer our bodies as an offering of worship. Whatever you give your best to, that's what worship is. That's what you worship. Her problem was she just worshiped the wrong thing. She was worshiping a person to love her, worshiping a desire to be accepted. And Jesus said, listen, you guys worship the wrong thing. You got this whole culty thing going on with Mount Gerizim, this false, false system, but we worship what is true. Worship comes from the Jews and God is in Jerusalem. But here's the deal. He said, there's coming a day when it doesn't matter whether you're in Gerizim or in Jerusalem. None of that matters. What God is looking for are worshipers who will love him and worship him in spirit and in truth. And God's seeking people like you for that.
you can actually come to God. You can actually worship him. You can actually know him. Now, we can't fully grasp how mind-blowing this is for her. You don't have to be on the outside anymore. Listen, God wants you to know him and to worship him. My friend, you'll never find the satisfaction and you'll never find healing until you find Jesus. And in worshiping him and in knowing him, this is where you find life and the joy and the peace that you've been desperately searching for. And then Jesus drops something here that he rarely said to anyone else. And I want you to just look at it. Look at verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. I'm the one. It's one of the only times in the, in the Gospels that Jesus says, I am the one you are looking for. Imagine it. He revealed himself as the Christ to this wayward woman that saw, thought she was so rejected. You can come close to God. Listen, if you feel like life is a jury that's giving you thumbs down, if you feel like the question, will you accept me, has been answered by most people in the negative, no, I'm not. If you have been abandoned, if you've been rejected, if you've been hurt, if you've been disappointed, if you feel like you're not good enough, if you feel like you've sinned too much or you've gone too far or you don't deserve it or you've done things to hurt other people and you deserve to be hurt like you've hurt them, if you feel like you deserve to be on the outside, Jesus is saying, come. Come to me. You don't need to be on the outside anymore. I came to draw you to myself. I accept you. He will heal you. He will satisfy you. And he'll make you a worshiper if you turn to him. I want you to bow your heads with me for just a minute. For some of you in this room, and maybe those of you that are watching online, God's speaking to you. You're not listening to this by accident. You have felt hurt, pushed out, rejected. You don't feel like you're deserving of God's grace. But this is why Jesus came. He came for you. And this is the heart of the gospel, right? That while we were created to know God and love him and walk with him, that we've sinned against God. We've gone our own way. We've lost our way. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to, to go to a cross, to die in your place and in my place, to pay the full and final payment for our sin. That he was buried, he rose again on the third day and he offers you right now living water. A new start. Healing for your wounds, satisfaction for your soul. To make you a true worshiper that knows him and walks with him. question is, will you turn to him or will you keep pursuing these other things that can never really satisfy, that can never really heal? 
So if you're here today and you say, Craig, that's what I want. I, I want Christ. I need Christ. I want to be forgiven. I want to be right with God. I want this satisfaction that only Jesus can bring. But I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer of faith to receive Jesus. If your head's bowed, nobody looking around, if you're here today in this room and you want to receive gospel, you want to receive Christ right now, I'm just going to ask you to lift up your hand. And in so doing, you're just saying, Pastor, pray for me, and I'll see your hand, and I'll lead you in a prayer right where you're seated. So if the Spirit of God is moving in your heart, and God is saying, this is you, I'm come for you, you're here because I'm talking to you, then lift up your hand right now. Pastor, pray for me, all right? Thank you, thank you, thank you, all right? Lift up your hand where I can see it. Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. Lift it up high enough where I can see it. All right, thank you. Thank you, all right, good. Anybody else? Don't wait, don't delay. The Spirit of God is moving in your heart. Now's the time to respond. All right, thank you. Okay, just put your hand down. Why don't you just pray this prayer with me? God sees your heart, God knows your heart. It's not a magical prayer. I'm just leading you through opening up your heart to the Lord. So just right where you're seated, just pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord, I know I've gone my own way. I know I've put on a hard shell to everyone. But I'm hurting on the inside. And I know I've drifted far from you, God. But I believe Jesus died for me. I believe Jesus rose for me. I believe Jesus came for me. Father, thank you for loving me the way you have. And so right now, I just want to surrender my life to you. I turn from my sin to turn to Jesus. I want to follow you with all my life. Make me clean, Lord. Heal my heart, Lord. Satisfy my soul. I want to worship you and follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for loving me. Father, I thank you for your word today and just how current it is, how needed it is. Lord, I pray for all those in this room that are hurting, all those that feel on the outside, all those that feel embarrassed to face those that they've disappointed or just feel distant from you. Lord, I pray that today would be a day of new beginnings. That today we would step into your grace and your kindness and your goodness that never fails. And Lord, I pray that as those of us who've experienced your grace, that God, we would be mirrors of that grace to the people around us. That we would reflect your kindness and your goodness to the people we meet this week, the people we encounter this week. 
Lord, thank you for your deep, unfailing love for us. And we commit ourselves to you again. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.